0: Let me say a very good morning and a a very great welcome to you all. Um, As you are aware, today, as has already been stated, is Easter Sunday. And um, so I'm having a break from doing my normal series that we've been looking at um, on the church and looking at Acts. I'm doing something obviously different today because today is Easter Sunday. You know, around Easter time, we tend to get bombarded with some graphic pictures well, today I want to warn you, I'm about to show you a picture that is quite graphic and is quite depressing. I want to show you a picture that may sum up what this very day could have been like for those back in Jesus' time. This is the picture. I warned you, it was bad. Now, for those of you who are looking at this and thinking, what on earth am I looking at? Don't feel bad because when I was first shown this picture... I had no idea what I was looking at either. Now, not that I'm into astronomy in any way, but the boss at the campsite that Michelle and I worked at at RealWay, he was into astronomy in a big way. He used to try and explain the size of the universe. He told me how the stars I was looking at happened three years ago. Um, And he used to show me photos from NASA and from the Hubble telescope. He was full on into astronomy. This was one of his favourite photos. What we are looking at here is a picture of a black hole. Now obviously I'd never heard of a black hole and had no idea what it was, and so stupidly I said, what is it? Because that just gives him another half an hour to talk to me about this stuff. He explained to me a black hole is a spot in space which is like a giant vacuum or whirlpool, and it sucks everything around it into that hole. He said scientists knew for many years that black holes were out there, but they were never really a great problem to us. The only black holes that ever been found were in galaxies millions of light years away from Earth. Now, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. I don't even know what a million light years is. I'm just quoting what he told me. As I said, black holes were his favorite. one of his favourite talked about because he had a favourite story that he used to tell the kids about, with a black hole. It was in the late 1990s, astronomers made a startling announcement that a black hole had been found nearby in our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Apparently, my boss said the headlines proclaimed that our sun and all the pal- planets around it would be sucked into it. Everything would be gone. People started to panic. Some thought that they would be sucked up in this black hole, others thought that their whole world was going to be taken away from them because of what these scientists had discovered. I say only in America. (laughs) But as stupid as that sounds, I think this may be how the women and the apostles and the friends of Jesus felt that Sunday morning. It was as if some kind of black hole had made its way to the tomb that morning and sucked everything out. Because when we look at this, Everything the followers of Jesus knew and believed in was gone. I told you it was pretty depressing. The women went to the tomb and it was empty. It was as if some kind of black hole had made its way to the tomb on that morning and sucked it dry. Everything they knew and believed in was gone. Then the apostles, these men who had invested their lives in this man Jesus, they had believed with all their hearts that he was the promised Messiah the one that they should follow. They had believed in his course so much that they left their homes and their families and they found security to follow him. Then suddenly a black hole had come and Jesus was taken from them. As Christians today, we celebrate the black hole of an empty tomb. We say he's risen, he's risen indeed. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But let me tell you, for Jesus' followers of the day, there was another an emotion going around and it wasn't one of celebration that morning. I had a reading down of Matthew 28. Go home and read Matthew 28, 1 to 10. If you read that, you will notice there is a recurring word that appears in that reading. A word that is mentioned many times. That word is afraid. Four times the word afraid appears in that passage. Verse 4 says the guards were afraid. Verse 5 says, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. Verse 8 says, Matthew, Matthew says that the women hurried to the tomb and they were afraid. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus said to them, go tell my disciples, don't be afraid. You know, we have been looking at the early church over the past few weeks. We've seen how these great apostles taught these new converts. But what's happening here to them? The apostles were afraid. They're hiding. So much so, they are hiding behind locked doors. So, in a way, you could say the Church of Jesus Christ began with a group of frightened men who were hiding behind locked doors in Jerusalem. It seems at face value, the emotion that gripped the followers of Jesus was fear on this morning. They believed he'd been taken away, they believed something happened, they were scared. Even though most of his closest followers had heard him speak many times, even though he trained and taught them on what to do and what to say in life, on this occasion they didn't know what to do or what to say. They sat afraid. They were timid soldiers, reluctant warriors and speechless messengers. The most courageous act they did was get up and lock the door. They were afraid. They were empty. Now, as I said, I'm not trying to be hard on them. I mean, when you look at Jesus' steps to crucifixion from Friday to now, you can understand why they would be afraid. As I said, the day just gone, Good Friday, I call payday. Well, I think if I could name today, I would call Sunday, Empty Sunday. For me, empty would be the word that would sum up the day. It seemed that everything that they believed in had been sucked into a black hole. And like the people in America, they were empty because they thought their whole world was going to be taken away from them. Even though Jesus had spoke on his death and resurrection many times, it didn't hit home. The followers of Jesus were afraid and they were empty. They would have thought, what help is there now for us? He's been taken. He's gone. Let me ask you, have you ever been in that position in life of being afraid? and being empty. What help was there for Jesus' followers? What help is there for his followers and these people that went to the tomb and were afraid? What help is there for you when you are in that situation of being afraid and empty? Well, I think what we celebrate today, there is a great help for us. I called it Empty Sunday. Why? Because today we see three empty things, three empty things that help us as followers of Jesus ...to really gain some encouragement. And encouragement that the followers of Jesus discovered in their day... ...is still true for ours. Now I know that the word empty can be a negative word... ...but these empties I want to look at today are so positive. They are extremely positive for us... ...because they teach us we don't need to fear in life... ...and we don't need to be afraid. Free empties that reveal fullness... Now, believe it or not, I'm not looking at the Gospels to see these three empties today. Even though these empty things are tied up with what celebrate today, these three empties come from a verse, believe it or not, I find in Revelation. And it is this, Revelation chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So what three empty things do I see linked to this verse? What three things do I see in this that are linked to Easter Sunday? Well, let's go for it. The first one is this, empty life. You know, the longer I live my life as a Christian, there is one thing I'm learning more deeply about Jesus, something that has come more tangible for me to grab hold of something that has deeper meaning for me today than dare i say what it did 5 10 15 years ago what is that the life jesus lived was real notice he says i am the living one god deliberately chose to enter this world and become flesh now i'm sure a lot of you like me you know have come to the realization a long time ago but as i said for me it took longer as a christian I saw the human life Jesus lived as something that not only helped me, but it wasn't something I could really grab hold of. Jesus' life holds deeper meaning for me now than what it did back then. What do I mean? As a new believer, I used to focus on the perfect life. Jesus walked this earth as a perfect person, and I used to think how good and perfect he was. And I used to think, how good would that be to have? Seriously, wouldn't it be good to know that you're going to go through life perfect? Knowing that it doesn't matter what you face, you're going to be okay. I knew my life didn't and still doesn't resemble that that at all. So in some ways, our two lives never connected on that deep personal level. My life and emotions are up and down like a yo-yo. I can remember times of meeting with other pastors and sharing with them And saying to them, I feel like my Christian life is nothing but a fake. I'm just going through the emotions. My heart is not in this. I feel God is so distant. I'm not sure where my faith is at today. As I said, I sometimes used to think, what a shame it is that I'm not perfect like Jesus. Because if I was perfect, I know for sure I wouldn't be feeling that. Now, I know people have pointed out to me Hebrews 4.15, which says, Jesus understands our every weakness of ours because he's tempted in every way we are. Do you know I used to read that and think, no, he's not. No, he doesn't. I mean, he can't. He's never been married. He doesn't know what it's like to be angry with your wife. He doesn't know what it's like to have marriage trouble. He doesn't know what it's like to have to give yourself up. He never had children. He doesn't know what it's like to want to disown your kids when they're being that rebellious you want to throw them out. He never had pornography around in his day. He didn't have to struggle with internet or computers. He never never had to pretend in being fake. He never not felt close to God. For me, the writer of the Hebrew got it wrong. He would have been better off saying that Job, Jonah, Peter or Paul understands our every weakness because they were tempted in every way that we are. But not Jesus because he's perfect. Not that I'm fully there yet, but the older I get as a Christian, I see more and more that the life Jesus lived is exactly like mine. Jesus has tasted and experienced the things of life I taste and experience. The ups, the downs, the emotions I face, he faces. He went to parties, he laughs. he cried and sometimes he was lonely. He needed friends that weren't always there. So sometimes he felt rejected. He got tired, he got hungry, and he got thirsty, just like we do. Then you can add to this as we look at the New Testament, time and time again it shows Jesus with people who lived the real life, people who were lonely, tired, rejected, depressed, stressed out. So he not only sees them, he reaches out and touches them. His touch was so powerful. We're not used to seeing power like that. We sometimes see power as being harsh, as a dictator or a ruler. We see people in power abusing people and manipulating people. That's not gentle. But in Jesus, we see an unlimited power clothed in gentleness that reaches out and touches people. Sometimes he touches those who no one else would touch. Lepers were untouchable, but Mark tells us, guess what Jesus did? Touched them. All throughout the gospels, there is something about the touch of Jesus that brought assurance and ease fear. That is even what happened to John in this passage from Revelation. When I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. Imagine the power of that gentle touch, that awesome power clothed in gentleness. Now, you may be thinking, hang on, Garth, your point here is on an empty life. You haven't mentioned anything about an empty life. You haven't talked about a man who was perfect. You've talked about a man who was perfect and not broken at all. So how is that an empty life? I think the main reason Jesus was able to do all this, touch and reassure those he came in contact with, because Jesus chose to empty his life. You see the passage from Revelation? He says, John, I was dead. Many Bible scholars say that the phrase uh, is best um, translated as, I became dead. I am the living one, he said, and I became dead. I emptied myself. I emptied my life. So in his life on earth, Jesus deliberately chose to empty himself and enter this world and became flesh. Jesus deliberately chose to empty himself and become dead. Jesus deliberately chose, through the sacrifice on the cross, to walk the path to that cross. This Easter, we have the promise of an empty life. Jesus is our example, and we should follow in those footsteps. Real fulfillment comes when we empty ourselves and our desires and makes Jesus our heart's desire. If you're not experiencing God's presence in your life, it's maybe because your life isn't empty enough. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, Christians will never find intimacy with Christ until they stop bowing down to the shrine of self. So often Jesus emptied himself, stepped into a situation and offered his very best. He emptied himself for the care of all others. In his life on earth and in his death on the cross, Jesus literally emptied himself of everything he ever had. And all of this tells me, He must understand the realness of my life because nothing's changed. Dennis spoke about it on Friday. He said, you can go through anything and Jesus knows what you're going through. That's what that verse says. I used to think, no, he doesn't. But I'm getting there where I think, yes, he does. We can now know as we go through the Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays of life, he understands. He knows exactly what we're experiencing He knows the pressures, the emotions that go up and down in our hearts and in our minds. We serve a Lord that specialises in filling emptiness. He emptied himself of all he had to fill us. He emptied his life so that we might have life abundantly. He emptied his life so that we may have a full life. Jesus literally emptied himself of everything he ever had so the fullness of God may be found within you. He emptied his life to give us a full life. No wonder Hebrews um, 4.16 says, Whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we'll be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. Take time this week. Reflect on Jesus emptying his life to give you full life. An empty cross is another thing. You know, uh, my best friend, when I got married, he was my best man and I was his best man and he was Greek. He was uh, Greek Orthodox and they used to, he always used to have a crucifix. He would wear a crucifix. And I wasn't really into wearing crucifixes because he bought me one um, when he became my best man. And I said to him, I probably wouldn't wear that. And he said, why? And I said, I don't like jewellery where Jesus is still on the cross. I said, for me, the cross is empty. The cross is the place where he died, yes, but today the cross is empty. Notice what Jesus said to John in Revelation 1. I am alive forever and ever. Don't ever leave out the, two, the three last words. Ever and ever. The cross is empty. Why? Because Jesus is alive forever and ever. Listen to the exciting words of Romans 6 9. It says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. No longer can the Roman soldiers touch him. They cannot drive nails into his hands or feet again. Pilate cannot issue his verdict again. There can be no longer any mockery of him. Jesus is alive forever and forever. The empty cross tells us a few things. Firstly, the empty cross tells us that we stand forgiven. It was on that cross that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. The empty cross tells us that we can be free from our past. The empty cross tells us that we can be forgiven for all of our sins. It is in that empty cross we realise God's holiness. When we look at that cross and see God's plan, we know we could have never gone there. None of us could have. The empty cross tells us that God comes to us. In that empty cross, we see God came down to our level because he knew 100% none of us could do it. None of us could save ourselves. Yes, the cross is empty of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, but in and through the risen Jesus, the empty cross brings a full life for you and me. A full life of God's love, God's hope, God's promise, God's forgiveness and God's presence. So, regardless of how empty and afraid we may be, regardless of how empty and afraid we may feel, we don't have to be. Because out of that empty cross, we can believe the same words he said to John. He can come and stand before you and say, Why worry? I am alive forever and ever. Because he's risen from the dead. Lastly, the empty tomb. Like the empty life and cross, the empty tomb is a symbol of new life. The empty tomb shows the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the empty tomb, nothing about Christianity is certain. Without an empty tomb, our religion, our belief is really challenged. Why? Because there is no saviour then. Without the empty tomb, there's no salvation. Without the empty tomb, there's no hope. I'm not sure if you've ever heard someone make the comment along the lines of, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus rose from the dead in a physical sense or a bodily sense or not. The important things is what he taught on how we should live our lives. Nothing could be further from the truth. The resurrection makes Christianity make sense. The empty tune changes Christianity from a religion to a relationship. The empty tune changes Christianity from a lie. To the truth. As I mentioned, the empty tomb shows the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What difference does the resurrection make? The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives our life meaning and purpose. The empty tomb gives us the promises of certain things. Listen to some of these verses. The empty tomb gives us the promise of justification. He was delivered over to death for sins and was raised to life for our justification the empty tomb gives us the promise of the holy spirit romans 8 but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit the empty tomb gives us the power over death by, by 1 corinthians 6:14 by his power god raised the lord from the dead and he will raise us also. If we go back to Revelation, Jesus says, I hold the keys to death and Hades. The the word Hades means the abode of the dead. The empty tomb reveals this to be true. The women were coming wondering why or who was going to roll the stone away. Jesus had already done it. It had already been rolled away. Picture if you can, They take the body of Jesus down from the cross. His friends carry his body and put it in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. A stone is rolled into place and the Roman government says, put a seal of Rome on that tomb. Have soldiers guard that tomb. Make it as secure as you can because I don't want anyone coming in and more importantly, I don't want anyone going out. Here is part of the most powerful army in the world of its day and it thinks it can stand against the forces of God. Make it as secure as you can. The thing they didn't realise, it didn't matter how secure, they made it. It wouldn't have made any difference at all. Why? Because the one inside had the keys to death and Hades. Our church in uh, Togooloa I met in a primary school and I had a master key to the school and the principal there was a crazy, avid Richmond supporter. And I said to him one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear my crows gear to school when I'm coming to speak to your students. And he says, Garth, you won't be allowed in. He says, I'm going to lock the front gate. And I said to him, Gary, do what you want. It make, make a scrap of difference because I've got a master key. You can lock any door, you can lock any office, you can lock any gate, but guess what? What will you achieve? Nothing, because I've got a master key. I can get into the school anywhere. Well, Jesus was the same. They could not do anything because the one inside held the keys to death and Haiti. The empty tomb shows us that we do not fear death because death has already been defeated. Early in the morning on the first day, Jesus took out those keys Unlock the latches of death and Jesus was alive on that day and how often will he be alive now? Forever and ever. To those of us who knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, death has lost its sting. It no longer something to be feared. What fear is there in death when we have the promise that one day we will live forever with him in heaven? That's what the empty tomb proclaims. I said at the beginning of this sermon that if you are a Christian, we get great encouragement from this passage of scripture. It gives us three empties. Today, we have an empty life. He emptied his life. He walked and died for us on that cross. His life was empty so we could be full. We have an empty cross, but the reason it is because he lives forever and he invites us to have the same life. We have an empty tomb which reveals that we can also live with him forever because he holds the keys. I'm not sure how you feel after a sermon like this. But for me, it's not just praise the Lord. Let's go and celebrate. Do you know, when I do sermons like this, I'm often left in shock because I often think, why me? I share with you what God did in my life at that coal store when I was 19. God took a butcher who became a reverend. Why me? I don't deserve any of it. This still astounds me because of the life I live. I would be the last person to choose to receive blessing. But I read a quote once, and I don't know who said it, but it's a quote. The gifts of God don't have anything to do with the behaviour of his children. They are all to do with the love of a father. (laughs) That's where we all stand today. This is truly what we celebrate today. We celebrate an empty life. Why? Because he chose to empty himself to give you fullness. We have an empty cross because he rose from the dead to give you life forever and ever. And we have an empty tomb because he holds the keys to death And he's the one.